0: Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition, our daily webcast and podcast that offers an in-depth look in investing and financial markets. My name is Jacob Hasse and I'm a personal finance and real estate reporter at Market Watch. And today we have Michael Frattentoni, Chief Economist at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Welcome, Michael, and thanks for being here. Jacob, thanks for having me and Happy New Year. So, yeah, so you and I are going to talk all about housing, real estate, the mortgage market. Um, and I think, you know, a question that's top of mind for folks tuning in is what's the deal with interest rates right now? Are they heading higher uh, and, and where can they we expect them to go?
1: Yeah, that always is a central question for the real estate market. As you know, in 2020, 30-year mortgage rates got to an all-time low, below 3%. First part of last year, they picked up a bit. Second part of last year, Delta variant, other factors brought them down. Uh, In our most recent weekly survey, we were at 3.33% for a 30-year mortgage rate. Our forecast has that rising to about 4% by the end of 2022. So certainly higher than we are today, but historically speaking, that still is a very attractive mortgage rate.
0: Yeah, because I I feel like folks forget about how high mortgage rates were back in the eighties when there were, you know, uh upwards, well upwards of of ten percent.
1: Yeah. Heck, I mean you have to only go back to twenty eighteen in the fall, we got to five percent on a thirty year mortgage rate. So yeah, so a four percent mortgage rate, we think uh still is gonna be one of the
0: factors still favorably disposing home buyers out there. So what are the changes, and, and, and folks tuning in may already be aware of the changes at the Fed in terms of their policy and stuff, but what are the changes on the horizon that will, you think, trigger mortgage rates to hit that 4% mark over the course of the year? So I'll start with the, the
1: fundamentals, what's happening in the broader economy. So we were at a 4.2% unemployment rate in November. We'll see what the December number is this Friday. We expect it's going to get lower. But we think, you know, the number out yesterday, we still have almost 11 million job openings in the economy, right? There's tremendous demand for workers. We think that unemployment rate is going to drive lower, probably hit three and a half percent by the end of the year. Strong wage growth. So strong job market. The other number that obviously everyone is looking at is that inflation number. So we'll see the December CPI, middle of the month. You know, That could be 7 percent, right, for a headline number. And while I expect that headline inflation number is gonna come down, core inflation is gonna stay higher for longer than I think many have have considered. With the real estate portion of that, rent and owner's equivalent rent, one of the reasons why we think it's gonna stay higher for longer. So the inflation picture, another reason why we think it's gonna stay higher. Now, to your point, the Fed's gonna react to those economic data. In their December meeting, The median voter now looking for three hikes uh, in 2022. We think that's likely what's going to happen. And then they're going to begin to move away uh, from their asset purchases, the taper going much faster than they originally had planned. They're probably going to be done adding to their balance sheet by March. And now they're even beginning to whisper about beginning to shrink the size of their balance sheet. So all of those factors, throwing it on top of that, you know, a large federal budget deficit, Everything is really looking to push
0: rates somewhat higher. Yeah, I think I think if folks uh, don't remember this time last year, the Fed wasn't forecasting any rate hikes That's in the fine. future. So it is definitely a very quick turnaround. And inflation is playing a big role. Um, for those folks out there that you know didn't luck out and secure refinancing, or didn't uh, you know secure a home purchase. In the past year and they're looking to to get a lower rate and and maybe even hoping that rates will go down you know is there any chance that we could see uh, rates going other uh, economists are forecasting and what would cause rates to go down in that circumstance
1: yeah so i often tell people that this job keeps you humble because you know, rates can move for uh, any number of reasons and in directions that really will surprise most of us forecasters. So could rates go down? Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's the most likely outcome, but it could happen. Some reasons it could happen. We're on the Omicron variant now. Is there another one in the wings waiting to depress economic activity? So sort of another downward movement related to the pandemic that could bring rates lower. Other sort of Uh, Geopolitical events, you know, all the concern about the Russia Ukraine situation or the, you know, China Taiwan uh, frictions, those kind of events lead to a flight to safety rates drop. uh, And we could see mortgage rates drop, at least for a short term, related to those kind of events. But I still think the better bet for 2022 is rates more likely to rise than to fall. And as I tell to my members, you know, mortgage lenders on both the single family side in the commercial real estate market, I think you also need to think about another alternative, which is not just rates gradually rising up to 4%. But this inflation picture we're talking about, if it doesn't cool off, the Fed might have to really stop on the brakes as opposed to gently tap them. And we could see uh, the rate path move uh, even higher, even faster than we have in our baseline forecast.
0: And, and if you were to, to hazard a guess, which do you think is more likely, rates moving even faster than you uh, anticipate or, or a potential uh, revisiting of the, the drop in rates from last year? Honestly, uh, I wouldn't even have talked about the
1: higher rate path much last year. So the fact that I bring it up, you know, I think that honestly is probably a higher probability than another drop in rates.
0: Speaking of higher rates and you know the the general expectation of those, you know, what does that mean for for home prices? We've already sort of seen from recent case Shiller data, uh, home prices price appreciation um, slowing. But you know, what what does this you know steady kind of move toward that four percent mark? What would that do to to home prices? Yeah, so.
1: 2021, just absolutely eye-popping home price growth. You know, 18, 19% year-on-year home price growth, depending upon which which measure you look at. Frankly, if that continues too much longer, we're going to run away from the first-time buyers that we're counting on to really supply demand in this market. With mortgage rates going somewhat higher, coupled with, I think, some additional new home inventory hitting the market, I think home prices are going to continue to grow in 2022, but something more in line with that overall level of inflation that we've been seeing, 6-7%, as opposed to the 18% that we saw in 2021. And you know, higher mortgage rates are one reason that we move from this incredibly hot housing market to one that's strong, but you know, instead of having 10 bidders for every open house, you know, you have two or three buyers that are interested.
0: And, and, and to that point, you know, do you think that the demand from buyers is going to waver at all in the face of rising rates and still perhaps rising prices? Yeah. So this is something that we've
1: talked about before, Jacob. So, you know, in the mortgage market, you have your refinance customers where it's all about mortgage rate. Right. It's all about what's the rate in the market today versus the rate on their current loan. For a home buyer, you have so many other considerations. You know, they're looking to buy a home because they just got married, they had kids, they just retired. There's some sort of uh, you know family factor that's driving that home purchase decision, and the mortgage rate helps determine the budget they're looking at when they're going shopping for homes, right? But they're not buying a home because of the mortgage rate. The mortgage rate is you know a factor amongst many factors for home buyers. And for homebuyers in 2022, think about some of those other things that I mentioned. The job market is going to be booming. We're going to see the unemployment rate get as low as it was in February of 2020. Um, Just the demographics in the United States right now, the largest single cohorts of the millennial generation are reaching peak first-time homebuyer age. That is just going to generate just a tremendous amount of demand just because you have a bunch of young Uh, folks in their early 30s that are looking to establish their, their households right now. So that demographic push we think is going to continue to contribute to demand over the next couple of years. And particularly in the context of a strong job market too, even with higher mortgage rates, we're anticipating growth in home sales this year.
0: Just wanted to remind everyone before we move on to the next question that you all can submit your own questions in the Q&A feature of the live stream, and we will take time to cover those throughout this conversation. And to that end, um, got a question in from John, which is one that you and I have discussed before. And he was wondering uh, whether the kind of situation right now uh, in terms of the liquidity in the mortgage market and uh rising rates and all that, whether it may lead to actually more flexible lending standards, um, you know, as banks seek to deploy their capital. And this is something you and I have discussed before in terms of what's going to happen with the, the availability of mortgage credit and things like that. So, uh, you know, under this uh market dynamics, you know, what do you expect in terms of liquidity and in terms of lending standards?
1: Yeah. So The pattern we've seen historically in the mortgage market is you get a year like 2020, you know, one of the largest refinance waves we've ever seen, Uh, coupled with concerns about the economy, lenders tend to tighten their credit criteria during that refinance wave. And they get so much volume from very strong credit refinance borrowers, their factories are full. They really can't take any more business in. And we actually saw in 2020, in that first part of 2021, lenders profitability was very very strong right because again they were working at absolute capacity and they were doing that in a place where credit criteria were very tight as we move into 2022 mortgage rates going somewhat higher that refinance volume has already begun to fall away we're about 40 percent lower in terms of refinance application volume than we were last year at this time we think that'll drop further through the course of the year lenders are going to be looking for more business to do and To our earlier discussion, they're going to be looking at the home buying market. And when you're looking to develop mortgage products or credit to uh, really appeal to that first-time home buyer, sometimes you need to move out that criteria a little bit, accept somewhat lower down payments, uh, accept somewhat uh, uh, more, uh, you know, exceptions in terms of, of credit report, right? So we're just, I want to be careful here. We're not moving to a place where credit is loose. If you look at our credit availability index, which we put out on a monthly basis, we are still in in a tight place where we're back to sort of 2015 levels of credit availability. Lenders really tightened up in March of 2020 when the pandemic hit and have only very gradually eased that up. We think in 2022 lender profit margins are going to be challenged a bit. Volume's going to come down with that loss and refi. So we think uh, credit criteria will loosen just a bit Again, to appeal to that large number of first-time home buyers that are are looking in this market.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, uh, I, in in the context of the Omicron variant that we are all seeing uh, contribute to much higher case counts across the country um, and around the world. Uh, you know, I, I did want to touch on you know how variants of COVID have influenced. Home buying, the mortgage market, et cetera, uh, throughout this pandemic, and what you know the current variant as well as future variants, what effect they could have uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's a great question. So let me start at sort of the uh,
1: the, the center, right, which is the uh, the industry itself, right. So in March of 2020. Uh, Essentially, every mortgage lender in the country sent their employees home, just like every other business in the in the economy. Right. And so you had a mortgage industry looking at the largest volume year they've ever had with a workforce that was suddenly 100% remote. So that was really quite an accomplishment. Couple that with at the same time, a lot of people really, really struggling as a result of the pandemic. And for the first time, widespread use of uh, forbearance as a, an option to allow homeowners to miss payments for a period of time until they were able to regain their income. So the, the servicing side of the industry really working hard to provide that protection, that support for homeowners through the pandemic. Uh, at the same time that the origination, the, the new loan side of the business was just being flooded with, with refinance borrowers. So. Uh, wanted to say that first, the, the next was sort of the on the ground challenges for home buyers, for home sellers, for real estate agents. You know, how do you conduct business uh, in a world where people are concerned about opening their homes to, uh, to people they don't know? And I think we, we've gotten to a level of comfort with that, or at least prior to Omicron, right? You sort of knew what the steps that you needed to take to, to get comfortable with that. And I think we're we're moving through that in this case as well. So I think uh, we now have sort of a set of tools to use to deal with challenges around, around public health concerns that we could use again if a new variant were to pop up. The last part that we talked about already was, you know, what's the economic impact of concerns around a new variant? You know, likely it would be at least a short-term drop in rates and, you know, a little bit of a flurry of refi activity, but expect that sort of, uh, and Chair Powell has been very clear, sort of his thoughts on this, of, you know, with each variant, it seems to be a little bit less of an economic impact, even though the public health impact is still uh, certainly very, very significant.
0: You touched on forbearance, and then we did get one question in from a viewer um, about forbearance, and, they, they, and they, they posted an interesting question that I had not considered myself before, which was how you know, rising inflation is contributing or uh, affecting exits for forbearance, and what that means for the servicing industry. And I was wondering if that's anything you've looked at—the interplay between inflation and uh, forbearance exits.
1: Yeah. Let me start with with some of the numbers. Right, so last June, uh, last June, uh, June of 2020. Time is going fast now. June of 2020, uh, we hit an all-time high, 8.5% of all mortgages in the country were in forbearance. There's some millions of homeowners getting this temporary assistance. It's not forgiveness, but it's an ability to miss payments for a time. And what many homeowners are doing is moving those payments to a balloon at the end of the mortgage. So a deferral plan, uh, or if it's an FHA loan, it's called a partial claim. what we've seen in terms of exits thus far, you know, roughly three quarters of those who have exited are going back to making the original payment, right? Either they kept paying even while they were in forbearance, they reinstated the loan when they exited, or they entered one of these deferral plans. Most of the remaining quarter of those who have exited are going into modifications where they get a lower payment for a period of time. Now, to your question, how does inflation or this very rapid home price growth impact this? Well, you know, for those that can't resume making their payments, they are more than likely to be able to quickly sell their home and walk away with cash in their pocket, just given the equity gains that they've had. So this is such a different situation than we had in 2009 to 2012, where home prices were dropping, people had negative equity, they were underwater they weren't able to sell. And if they had to sell, they were, you know, short sales, uh, you know, everybody involved taking a loss. Here, if you have a homeowner that can't get back on their feet in terms of their income, they have the ability to sell their home, which really, really opens up many more opportunities for them.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to get your thoughts on the outlook for real estate investors, because they have different sets of concerns, perhaps are not as concerned with uh, interest rate direction, the direction of interest rates, I should say, uh, unless they, you know, because a lot of them use uh, the cash they have on hand to make their purchases or investments. So what what is your outlook on investor activity? In the housing market, uh, and also to that to that extent, you know, investor activity in the, the MBS market. Yeah,
1: great question. So, again, I, I want to compare what was happening in that call it 2009 to 2012 period to what was happening now. So, uh, after the Great Financial Crisis, we had these unbelievable drops in home prices in many markets across the country, and you had some institutional investors jump in. Uh, buy a number of homes with the expectation that they could realize a, a capital gain you know, once prices recovered. We're not in that place now. Right? Again, home prices haven't dropped. They rose at the fastest rate they ever have in history last year. So instead, you're seeing investors over the past couple of years saying, "You know, I could invest in a multifamily apartment building and uh, get a yield on that property through the rental payments over time or I can invest in a set of single family homes and get a similar yield. And if they're close together, I can sort of manage them like a horizontal apartment building. Um, there definitely seems to be some investors that are having success in that approach. But what I find interesting is some of the names involved, some of the companies you know, are big time, sort of you know, Wall Street investor names. And the number of units involved from a housing market perspective are not large, right? If there are you know, almost 44 million rental units in the country we're talking about tens of thousands of units being owned by these investors so from an investor thesis perspective it seems to be you know it can work very well but sometimes i get i get asked what's the impact on the housing market and my answer is typically not not much right because it's it's a very small impact in terms of that 43 million rental market right and i do wonder you know if in some cases those institutional investors are stepping into a place where a mom and pop investor used to play before. You know, someone used to have one rental property down the street and was going there in the middle of the night to unclog the toilet or, you know, let somebody into a locked house, right? Um, now you have a asset manager running that. And so it'll be sort of interesting to see that interplay over time. Now, to your last part in terms of investors and MBS, this gets back to our Fed discussion, right? So if the Fed is moving to more quickly taper their purchases of, of MBS be done by March, and if now they're even thinking about shrinking that portfolio, I mean, they have been the largest investor in MBS in the world the last couple of years, right? And their reinvestments of prepayments from MBS, you know, sometimes that's more than their additions on in terms of what they're now tapering. So who's going to step in if the Fed's not buying those MBS? And sort of the usual candidates are, you know, potentially banks, uh, potentially, uh, foreign investors, either public or private investors, and then you have, you know, uh, bond investors, uh, you know, asset managers of, of various kinds. I would say the the one distinction between the Fed being in there, who sort of every day, multiple times a day, is in there buying an MBS. These other private investors are going to be a little more selective, right? They're going to jump in when returns look good, and they may back away when returns don't look so good. So. One of the things that I've been telling our members is I think, you know, not only are mortgage rates going to go a little higher this year, but I think they're going to be a bit more volatile because you're not going to have that steady buying uh, presence from the Fed. Instead, you're going to have private markets, which are going to be a little bit more opportunistic when it comes to buying MBS.
0: Another question that I know a lot of uh, our viewers and listeners probably have and is a question I get all the time from readers uh, at market watch is whether or not it's gonna be a good year to buy homes in 2022 uh, and that's a, obviously a broad question um but wanted to get your your take on that that kind of way of thinking about buying a home as as to timing it uh whether this is a good year whether people should should hold off
1: yeah. So I think I'll, I'll I'll do it by comparison, right? So rather than an absolute yes or no, in twenty twenty one, and particularly for a first time home buyer, I'm imagining it was a frustrating year, right? Because you sat down, you you see what you could qualify for in terms of a mortgage. You had your budget in terms of uh, what you could afford in terms of a home. You went out there and you went you were subject to bidding wars on everything you looked at you had to decide within five minutes of looking at a property, whether you're going to put in an offer or not, and then you lost multiple times. Um, So I'm imagining that was a frustrating experience for a lot of buyers last year. I think this year, you know, given the pace of new construction, I think we are going to see some additional inventory this year. And given, you know, a somewhat less hot market, you know, there'll be less of that bidding war. So, you know, Potential buyers are going to have to take account of the fact, as we said, of somewhat higher mortgage rates. They certainly are looking at home prices, which are significantly higher than they were two years ago. But I think they're going to have a little bit more time to actually think about this largest purchase decision they've ever made in their life. And they might get to look at a couple of properties and have more than a few minutes to think about how to make that offer. So I think the, the process of buying for that first time buyer should be more pleasant this year even though the ultimate price uh, may be higher, given what's happened to home prices.
0: Taking some time now for some of the the viewer questions. Um, We've got one from Hal, uh, which I think is a a good kind of uh, piggyback off of uh, what we were just talking about in terms of the the market we're looking at. He was asking, and this is again, one of these perennial questions, are we in a housing bubble? Will the housing market crash? Uh, What's your take?
1: Yeah, again, I'm going to compare to where we were uh, in this case pre-Great Financial Crisis. So if you look at 2005, 2006, a lot of things were quite different from what we're seeing today. You had a mortgage credit environment which was very, very loose. You had a number of mortgage products in in uh, wide use that you know had big payment shocks. Uh, you know, led borrowers to to really take on. Uh, liabilities they they couldn't support over the longer run, both because of industry changes and certainly regulatory changes. We are in a much tighter credit environment now, so credit is not fueling this boom. If you look also at who was buying properties, you look in two thousand five, two thousand six, you know twenty percent or more of purchases were for flips. You know people intending to own that property for a year or less. As I said, you know. We have this enormous cohort of millennial buyers right now looking to buy their first home and looking to live there, right and live there for a bunch of years. So that's a much more stable form of demand than we saw in 05. Now uh, again, I'm worried that home prices were growing too fast last year and growing ahead of the ability of many of these first- time buyers to afford a home. And if we continue at that rate of home price growth, I think you'll see transaction volume fall off pretty quickly. But, you know, I'm hopeful that builders are going to be successful in picking up their pace of construction. We got more than 750,000 homes currently under construction. As more of these existing owners move into those new homes, some of that existing stock will open up. We'll get a virtuous cycle going. So I don't see uh, it likely that we're going to see a drop in home prices, but I do think uh, it is necessary and likely that we're going to see a deceleration in home price growth.
0: We got a lot of questions in about local dynamics uh, across the country, and as Joe, one of one of the the viewers, uh, put it uh, well, uh, all real estate is local. Obviously we can't talk about every market across the country. Um, but was curious if there are any markets that are sticking out to you or, you know, your thoughts on trends that we've seen in recent years, and especially during the pandemic, such as the migration to Sunbelt locations and places like Texas and Florida, you know, do you think that those sorts of trends are going to continue in 2022 and beyond? Yeah. Fantastic
1: question. So, um, one reaction that potential buyers have had to the run-up in home prices is they've really sort of expanded the set of homes that they're looking at, right? So I think the the benefits of sort of the hybrid work environment is if you're only going into the office a couple of days a week, maybe you're willing to trade off a, a, long, a longer commute. And if you take that longer commute, uh, sort of outlying areas, outlying suburbs of a metro area become a little bit less expensive. So you know while sort of constant quality home prices are up quite a bit if home buyers are sort of looking farther and further out uh, maybe they're able to find something within their budget even though home prices continue to go up you take that to an extreme and you certainly see people moving uh, across metro areas or across states as well and one of the hottest parts of the country right now is in the mountain west so you know, Idaho is the one that's having just the you know, 30, 35, 37% home price growth, depending upon which measure you look at. And uh, I've been to Boise a number of times in the past couple of years. And what you see are a lot of California license plates on the road, right? And so that's essentially a trade-off between a higher cost California market and a lower cost Idaho market, and water's going to find its level, right? So if you think about those trade-offs between commutes and amenities and uh, everything else that's uh, sort of the, the comparators between those markets, uh, people are, are willing to make that trade off in some cases. Um, so, other than the Mountain West, I think, as you said, all along that Sun Belt, whether it's sort of Texas or, or the Southeast, you're seeing that same kind of a dynamic. And you're seeing some folks leave the you know New York market and head to Florida where uh, in many cases there there's lower cost and some folks are, are establishing offices down there uh, to sort of accommodate that as well so this really interesting interplay between the return to office dynamic and that sort of on again off again depending upon the variant right as we were talking about earlier uh, and this uh, ability with the hybrid work to look at a broader set of homes. I think all of that interplay is, is still ongoing. Not quite sure how it's gonna shake out, but it certainly has been a, a force these last couple of years.
0: Another big trend we've seen in recent years across the real estate market has been the rise of iBuyers. Uh, and obviously in recent months, we saw kind of the the high profile exit uh, Zillow took from the iBuying industry. Um, Hal asked, "What you think of iBuying, buying?" Uh, and I'll, I'll rephrase that a little bit. You know, do you think that that trend is going to continue to grow? Do you think that you know the, the mar- or do you think that the market is becoming you know perhaps more challenging for iBuyers buyers as we see some shifts going on right now?
1: Yeah. So let me just make a couple of points. Uh, as I said, with sort of the institutional investor impact on the market, I think the i buyer uh, sort of theme. Uh, it, it's it's interesting, but it's still relatively small. You know, if we expect seven million home sales this year, again, we're talking about tens of thousands uh, through through iBuyers. And so, um, you know, whether it's a it's a business plan that's going to work or not, I I don't see it having a huge impact on the housing market writ large, as 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 I tend to look at it. Um, you know, what is it addressing? Uh, the process of buying and selling homes is expensive and complicated, right? And so uh, certainly uh, appreciate sort of the, the entrepreneurial zeal to try to attack that with, uh, you know, is there a way to make this whole process easier for consumers? Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm not sure we've we've found that yet, but uh, it certainly is sort of a sore point if you look at both, again, those, those costs of transacting in the real estate market and just the complexity. And, and if someone can figure out a way to do that, you know whether at scale or you know whether it's, it's sort of a you know cu- customized for for certain customers, um, it, it might work. But uh, I think at this point, it's still it's still so small compared to the size of the market. I don't see it having a huge impact.
0: Another uh, listener question came in from Millie, uh, and she was asking about the what ramifications there are about current market dynamics for the high end of the market, of the real estate market. And I think that that is an interesting uh, question, especially since that's where for many years we saw most of the home building activity centered on um, and move up buyers are are certainly important uh, for the market because they also free up a lot of the inventory at the lower end of the market. So I'm curious your thoughts on on higher end homes and, and what the trajectory is there. Yeah. So, you know, the last couple of years for
1: uh, those folks in office jobs that are amenable to remote work, they've tended to be able to keep their work and, you know, income might have even gone up. And then couple that with, you know, financial market performance, which has just been incredibly strong. And the high end of the real estate market has always tied closely to sort of the fortunes of the stock market. So, you know, I think if the stock market continues to do well, High end of the real estate market should uh, also. I would also, you know, tie back to that earlier comment I made about how, you know, many first time buyers are sort of extending their their home search to wider and and wider geographic areas. I think those buyers at the top end of the market are doing the same. And you know, if they can work in Montana and you know keep that. Uh, That high-end job that they have back east or or on the west coast, uh, they're they're doing it right, and so there's going to be opportunities for for uh, sellers at the high end of the market. You know, again, sort of to look for that buyer who's got that sort of mix between the location that might have certain amenities that are really desirable, but then also that there's always going to be the need to to I think you know get back to the office at some point. Um, So. Uh, you know the, 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 there are trade-offs involved in just about any real estate decision as you know
0: on the subject of home builders we got a question from Bob about you know the the headwinds that they've been facing in terms of material costs labor availability etc and all these supply chain uh, and job market related issues that certainly acutely affect home builders uh what what are your thoughts on how all of those headwinds are going to affect the pace of home building activity in 2022. And then the, the ripple effects that will have on buyers. Yeah. So let, let me use a, a technical term that
1: I expect that in 2022, it'll get less worse. Right, it, it, <laughs> it has been awful the past couple of years, right? And for the previous decade, builders have faced challenges with you know a shortage of skilled labor, right? With the, the really long timelines and getting land entitled and all the costs associated with that and even before the pandemic challenges with lumber costs and other input costs you know just put three exclamation points on those input costs uh, during the pandemic time period and you know the supply chain constraints that are impacting the broader economy again really accentuated for home builders in 2020 and 2021. Now, you know, I take some comfort, I don't know if you saw the, the ISM news this week suggesting that some of the broader economy supply chain constraints are beginning to relax a bit. And again, we're not back to normal. There are still a lot of ships anchored off the LA port uh, that are waiting to get unloaded, but it's beginning to get a little bit less worse. Um, and that's my expectation for 2022, that you know, if we talk in the middle of the year, Builders are still gonna be facing high costs for some inputs and still having trouble getting windows or appliances or, or what have you, but it's not gonna be as bad as it was six months ago. And that's gonna enable them to you know, pick up that pace. What we see, permit activity is running pretty high, uh, starts activity not quite as high because of these uh, challenges. Uh, again, I'm, I'm really watching that under construction number because I think that is very, very positive. As that continues to grow, I think we're going to see more inventory hit the market.
0: And one last question that came in from uh, Steve. He asked, if we recover from this pandemic or if it shifts into uh, COVID being more endemic rather than, you know, a new kind of thing, um, you know, what impact will that have on the housing market? And I think a lot of us are eagerly looking forward to the end of this situations. So do you think, you know, uh, COVID either becoming commonplace and just something we live with, or perhaps uh, fading into the, the background, uh, what, what effect will that have on housing? Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned
1: some of the drivers of housing demand, the strong job market, the demographics. But one that I I didn't talk about related to to this discussion is just the impact of the pandemic on housing demand. And I think what it's done is it's uh, shown people that they need either more or different housing than they did before. Uh, You know, if this is now a feature of our life, we're at some point, you know, during the foreseeable future, you're going to have to have your kids schooling at home, or you're going to have to work at home more than uh, you, you would typically be telecommuting. If that is gonna, I think that's something that's gonna that's gonna stick. Even if the pandemic were to just stop tomorrow, people are not gonna forget the last two years. And they're gonna say, you know, I need a home office that I can really work in, right, that's, that's quiet. Or you know, I need a place for my kids to be able to really sit down and, and do their schoolwork in a way that it wasn't quite as necessary in a pre-pandemic mindset. So I think that mindset's gonna stick with us at least for a period of time, you know, four or five years, uh, you know, even if this completely goes away. So I think, you know, one influence of the pandemic is this persistent change in housing demand where where people need to think differently about how they're using their house compared to what it was a few years ago.
0: Yeah, I I think that uh, I certainly am am there with you that the pandemic has definitely shifted my own thinking about what I want out of my home. And I'm sure those folks tuning in can certainly relate to that. So I think that's a great point to leave off on. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, uh, but thank you so much, Michael, for joining us and uh, and sharing your thoughts. I, I'm sure a lot of folks are at least uh, feeling a little bit better prepared for the, the year ahead in real estate uh, if they're looking to buy or sell their homes. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you join. Barron's live again tomorrow. Uh, Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and healthcare industry reporter Josh Nathan-Kazis will discuss what's new in healthcare investing, and they're going to provide an update on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Until then, everyone stay well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.